Good morning. Good morning and welcome back to Aldrey Assembly of God. We are back into our study. We're back into our series entitled, Why? And if you've been with us, most of you have these last number of weeks. We've been going question to question, some of the more popular questions about why. And we've, we've tried to have a, a biblical basis, a biblical vantage point in what is a response to this. Last week we began with uh, what was probably the number one question, the most commonly asked why question, and that was this. Why do bad things happen? It's asked a bunch of different ways. Uh, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? Well, why does this happen? Why does that happen? Why does this individual have cancer? Why does this individual have a heart attack? Why does this individual go to the hospital? Why does this individual have this or this or this? Well, God, why do I face this? Why? 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 But it all goes back to this question about bad things, difficulties, hardships, trials, and struggles. We say, why, God? And we, we saw that so many people, many hands were raised where you said, yes, I've either asked that or I've heard of somebody ask that. And last week we said it kind of boiled down to two things, that many times people think either God is not loving or God is not powerful. They say either God can't or God won't. Because if God was loving and powerful, he would just get rid of all the bad stuff. So since there's bad stuff in the world, God either isn't powerful enough to do anything about it, or he's not loving enough to do anything about it. And people say, well, either God can't or God won't. He, he's not kind and loving or he's not strong and powerful. And last week we said, yes, God is good. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. And there's scripture after scripture after scripture that declares the goodness of God. And we said that God is powerful. Isaiah 40, 25. He brings out the starry host one by one and calls them by name. Who else has the power, not just to create, but call out stars by name? And again, scripture after scripture after scripture, show his goodness, show his kindness, show his love, show his might, show his power. So we saw God is good and God is powerful. But the question remains, well, if he is good and if he is powerful, why doesn't he just wipe out all the bad stuff? And we said, well, there is this one thing that God chose to do. God chose to give you and I a free will that we can choose. We're not robots. God's not forcing us or commanding us or directing us. God gives us the free opportunity. We can choose to love him and serve him. We can also choose to turn away from hate or have nothing to do with him. So we can't have it both ways. We can't have the, the opportunity of free will and yet removing all of the sin. So why do bad things happen? We, we looked at a, a couple of things real, real briefly. We said we live in a world of sin. This is a sinful world, and in addition to the sinful world, 
Many times the sin is created by our own decisions, our own choices. We saw in Galatians 6, 7, and 8 that we reap what we sow. So many times there are things that we are doing, unwise situations, sinful situations. We're going against God and his plan, his design, and there are consequences as a result. But certainly this is a world filled with sin. And individuals have a choice to do so. Secondly, what we saw was this is a world that has the impact and the influence of the enemy, the influence of Satan. And we, we looked at Job in the Old Testament. You see many different scriptures where we see the enemy having his hand at work. Jesus in John 8, 44 referred to him as a liar and a murderer. And then later in John 10, 10, basically gave us his game plan, he says that the thief, the enemy, Satan, is to do what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. So we're in a world filled with sin. We have the freedom and the opportunity to make our own choices, our own decisions, even going against God. And in addition to that, there's the impact, the influence of Satan, who's out to steal, kill, and destroy that fills this world with a lot of evil, sinful, bad things. And in the midst of that, we ended with this, this challenging thought, which is, in the midst of all that, there is the providence of God. That God understands, God is aware of what's going on. It's not taking him by surprise when difficulties happen. When heartaches and sorrows and trials and hardships and some of these things that, uh, from earthquakes to hurricanes to you name it, they're not things that take God by surprise. Is God out to cause all of these things? No. But God understands, God knows, and God in some cases might allow them, not cause them, but allow them, and even able to use the bad that's taken place for good. And we say, how? Why? And where we ended last week was with Isaiah 55, 9. And, and it's, it's difficult to wrap our minds around it, but here's what it said once again. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, I, I wish that I could have this this neatly packaged answer for you as to why did this specific thing happen? Because you know, each of you, you've at least got one thing in your mind. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And, and maybe, maybe you're not to the point where you're saying, God caused it, but maybe you're wondering, why didn't God stop it? He said God's powerful enough and strong enough and kind enough and loving enough. And we don't understand all of the whys. But as we're reading here in Isaiah, and he says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. There's got to be something. In the midst of the deepest and darkest challenging days and nights, is there something that can be learned from God? difficulty 
We don't see it. We, do, we often don't understand it. Sometimes we can look back and through God's help see it. There must be something beneficial, something practical. So this morning I'd like to share a few thoughts. Calling it the blessing of bad things. Now, isn't, isn't that a title? The blessings of bad things. When, when we hear blessings and when we hear bad things, we don't put them together. Are you with me? Okay, so we're all on the same page for that. We don't put blessings and bad things together. So I'm not out here saying, oh, here is an incredible reason why something bad has happened. I, I wish I could tell you all of the whys. Again, that goes back to God. God understands, and maybe God has allowed certain things to take place. doesn't mean he's caused this or this or this or this or this. But God certainly understands and is aware of them. Are there some blessings? Are there some things that maybe can help us or grow us? We're going to take a look at it. First of all, the blessings of bad things. Bad things can stretch us. Difficulties can stretch us. Hardships, hard times, challenges can stretch us. How many of you have learned patience and endurance from smooth sailing? Probably not. Unfortunately, we learn patience and endurance as we patiently endure the difficulties and the hardships and the hard times and the bad things. If we never have problems, there's nothing to overcome. Our character is not built and developed and refined. Here's how James puts it. We don't like this passage, but hear me out. I didn't write it. It's in God's word. James chapter 1, look it up with me. Verses 2, 3, and 4. James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Stop there. Stop there. Did, did some of you just smile and smirk and say, Yeah, right? Because I saw some of your faces. As soon as I said, consider it pure joy when you face trials, I mean, it, it literally was like the congregation did one massive eye roll, right? You know the eye roll, like, yeah, all right. I didn't write it. But James says, consider it what? Pure joy? And he says, brothers and sisters, in other words, I don't want to leave anybody out. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, black, white. Hey, you're all going to face it. But count it as joy. When you face trials and hardships, uh, James, I'm not understanding. Okay, keep reading, he'd say. Consider it for your joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Verse 3 because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Ah, oh, James, why do you got to go there and get all godly and spiritual and teaching on us? 
difficulties, hard times, bad things, James says, can stretch us and help produce perseverance. Now, how many of you like me would raise your hand good and high and say, I'd like to skip that test, thank you very much. Give me the perseverance without the test. Right? You know, you're the one, you want the teacher who just says, sit in my class, show up day after day after day, and I'll pass you just because. No quizzes, no tests, no papers. You just come and you pass. How many of you love teachers like that? And then you get a teacher who actually had quizzes, who actually made you read, who actually had you study, who gave you tests and papers and essays, and oh, this is terrible. The goal was to help you to learn. Now, I'm not crazy about this passage of Scripture, but it's here. It's God's Word. James says, the trials, the hardships, the testing of our faith, the bad times, the bad things that we go through can be used to help develop perseverance and help us to be mature and complete. In other words, it's going to help build us and stretch us and equip us in our faith. And we'd rather not. But James says, here's what those things can do in us. God's goal is to help grow us into maturity as a believer. Hebrews 5.8 says this, Although he, speaking about Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Jesus learned and grew even through the things he suffered. Uh-oh. That's one of those, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me points. We just don't like that one, Right? We like the, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, as long as it's easy. Jesus grew, obeyed, even as he suffered. He learned and matured through the difficulties. They were even able to, to stretch him. Perhaps you've heard the story about the man who found the cocoon of the emperor moth. He took it home. He was fascinated, and he wanted to watch the moth come out of the cocoon. So one day, a small little opening appeared. This man sat and stared, and he watched the moth for several hours. Now, right, right there, he must not have had a whole lot going on. He's sitting and watching a moth in a cocoon for hours. All right? But it makes for a good story, right? So he watches for several hours as the moth struggled to force its body through the tiny little hole. Well, then it stopped and seemed to be making no more progress. To the man, it appeared as if the moth had gotten as far as it could in breaking through the cocoon and was stuck. So out of the kindness of his heart, after hours of watching this struggle, out of the kindness of his heart, he decided to help out the moth. He took a pair of scissors and snipped off the remaining bit of the cocoon to allow the moth to get out. Very soon the moth emerged, but it had a swollen body and small shriveled wings. 
The man continued to watch the moth, expecting that any time the wings would just enlarge and expand and be able to support the body, and, and it would simultaneously contract to its appropriate size. Neither one of those things happened, in fact. The little moth spent the rest of its life crawling around with a swollen body and shriveled wings. It was never able to fly. You see, the man in his kindness, the man in his haste, didn't understand that that restrictive cocoon and the struggle required for the moth to get through the tiny opening were God's way of forcing fluid from the body into the wings so that the moth would be ready for flight once it achieved its freedom from the cocoon. It was built that way to stretch it and the body and its wings would be appropriately ready after the struggle. You and I hate struggles. We hate storms. We would prefer smooth sailing. We would prefer easy street. We would prefer no hardships, no difficulties, nothing that comes in our way. But the truth is, we need some of those things in our lives to help us stretch us, perhaps even test us, and enable us to move forward in our walk with God. We don't like James's writings. We don't like James's teachings. But James is saying, listen, bad times, hardships, difficulties, trials, and challenges can do what? They can stretch us. Secondly, Bad times or bad things can teach us. They can teach us. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10 says this. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Sometimes God might allow us to go through something in order to help us, guide us, or teach us. In his book, The Case for Faith, Author Lee Strobel shares an illustration about a, a bear caught in a trap and a hunter who, out of sympathy, wanted to free him. Much like the previous illustration, the, the man and the moth, uh, this hunter is he's trying to go through the process and, and free the bear. He wants to win the bear's confidence, but he can't do it, so he shoots the bear full of drugs. The bear, however, thinks that the hunter is trying to kill him. And so in order to get the bear out of the trap, the hunter has to push him in even further to release the tension on the spring and free him out of the trap. Sometimes God might allow those same types of things to help guide us and teach us. And sometimes we say, God, it's not fair. Why am I going through this? Why, why are you allowing Why don't you just get rid of all the difficulties? Sometimes, perhaps. doesn't mean every situation is a situation of stretching or every situation is, is a situation of teaching, but God can allow those things to help us and teach us something as a result. 
Maybe he's wanting to free us and teach us, and he is using this as a way. Lamentations 3.33 says, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. God is not out just seeking, what kind of things can I do that's going to wreck and mess up my children's lives? We've already established this is a world filled with sin. As a result of sin, there's a lot of things that's already in it, and we've got an enemy that's doing his very, very best to push that. In the midst of that, God's not willingly out trying to smash it. This isn't God trying to smash us like, like ants. God understands. God's aware. And in some cases, God's allowing these things into our lives. We were in Hebrews 12.10 just a minute ago, continuing in that next verse, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline is to help train, equip, and teach. Isn't that why parents discipline children? You might find an odd parent here or there who actually intends and actually desires to inflict pain. I would say that that's probably not much of a parent in that case. But parents will do discipline to help guide and teach and train. Discipline is for the good. What's, what's the old saying of parents uh, when, you know, the spanking happens? Maybe your parents said it. Maybe you said it. It goes something like this, right? It's going to hurt me a whole lot more than it's going to hurt you. How many of you who were on the receiving end of that said, yeah, right, sure, mom and dad, until you went to give the discipline at one time? A parent doesn't have joy in discipline. Discipline is to help lead and guide and teach and train, maybe to help keep children from making some of the wrong decisions. To help keep them safe. You know, not playing with electrical outlets isn't because mom and dad are just out to destroy your fun. It's to keep you safe and alive. Not touching a hot stove isn't out to keep ruin, you know, ruin kids' fun. It's help keep them alive. So many times there's, there's discipline that's what? For the best and for the basis of the child. There's a story about a little four-year-old in a grocery store. Maybe you've seen one like this. Throwing a tantrum. You've seen children who just maybe literally throw themselves on the floor, whine and cry. Maybe they want to, to buy something or maybe they want their way. Whatever it is, there's a four-year-old who is throwing, you know, the the top-of-the-line tantrum in the store, on the ground, screaming, and literally everybody in the store could hear this little one. The mother simply stood there, ignoring. 
Until one other woman stepped up with a belt in her hand, <laughs> stretched it out and said, Here, do you need this? <laughs> now, the idea was not, oh, this is something to inflict punishment and pain. I think the, the woman was saying, do you need this as discipline to try to help stop this? Discipline ultimately is about guiding and teaching and steering in the right direction. Smith Wigglesworth said this, Great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come after great trials. You and I don't like hardships, difficulties, bad times, or bad things to happen. But in some cases, they can stretch us. In some cases, they can teach us. Finally, this morning, in some cases, bad times, bad things, hardships, difficulties can reach us. C.S. Lewis wrote it this way. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Again, does not mean that God is out causing hardships and difficulties. God might allow some of those things. And even in the midst of hardship, even in the midst of difficulty, God can use that. Some cases to stretch us. In some cases to teach us. And in some cases, God might choose to work through that. Not causing it, but work through it to reach someone and hopefully put their heart and their attention on an eternal reality. Maybe some of you, in the midst of a hardship difficulty or a family member or a friend in the midst of an accident or hospital visit or illness or whatever at rock bottom after tragedy after difficulty surrendered a heart and a life to Jesus Christ God was able to take something that the enemy meant for bad and able to use that to reach a heart for eternity Again, we certainly, we don't want those things. We want everyone to be saved. Let there be no hardships. Let there be no difficulties. The enemy is out in a sinful world. His influence is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's going to do anything he can to ruin and wreck. In the midst of that, sometimes God's able to take and use those situations the enemy meant for evil Use those to stretch, use those to teach, or use those to reach and point our hearts towards an eternal reality of Jesus Christ. Here's an interesting passage in Luke chapter 13. In a sense, it's kind of like Jesus' quote or Jesus' teaching on the why question. Well, why did this happen? Get your Bibles, turn with me there, Luke 13, 1 through 5. Jesus is teaching. He says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Here was Jesus' answer. 
Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or how about the 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Two situations. Individuals who died, their bloods were, were, were mixed. Or how about this, this tower who fell on people? I mean, why would that happen? A number of years ago, we had a tower, didn't we? 9-11. Preached on this passage. It's a youth pastor in that particular week after. We say, why would this happen? Jesus said, why? It's not because these people somehow were worse than these people. So the, the tower fell on the bad people and kept the good people alive. He brought it back to the eternal. Two different occasions, two different stories, two different illustrations. What did he say? Unless you repent, you too will perish. So the answer isn't about, well, which person, did they really get what they had coming? It's not about whether they got what they had coming or whether they were saved from it. The main point, he said, is repent. The main point, he said, is to be right with God. Unless you repent, he said, you too will perish. The heart of God is repentance. The heart of God is turning from sin and turning to him. Changing the way that we've been living. Changing the direction of how we've been living. Sometimes we, we say, boy, God, I've been living for you, so don't I deserve an easy life or a smooth sailing life? That's, that's not for me to determine. But Jesus is saying, listen, it's not about easy or hard. What he's saying is, you've got to be right with God. And even in the midst of hardships and difficulties and troubles and challenges, let it encourage us to make sure we are right with God. And for those who don't know Jesus Christ, maybe, maybe that could be an opportunity to be reached with the gospel and turn and surrender their heart to him. God can take even hard times, difficult times, bad things, and turn that around and point us to Jesus Christ. While there's still time, Jesus calls us to repentance. I'm with you. We don't like hardships. We don't like hard times. We don't like difficulties. We don't like going through struggles. But sometimes, I can't answer with, you know, definite uh, yes or no that this is what you are going through but sometimes in the midst of hard times God can stretch us sometimes in the midst of these hard times God is able to teach us and equip us sometimes in the midst of these hard times God can reach us and point our hearts to him to surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ